This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. So what we're kind of, what our embodied selves are longing for, I think, is some kind of way to frame and orient ourselves toward time and space and reality. So yes, I think some of the appeal to definitely natural rhythms, but also the liturgical rhythms is just this longing for um, a compass of some kind, you know, some kind of order, some kind of ordering rhythm within our lives at this moment. Traditionally, the four weeks leading up to Christmas are what is known as Advent. It's a time of longing and anticipation, not only for the birth of Jesus, but more importantly, even for his second coming. It's a chance to lament, to grieve, and to actually prepare our hearts for Christmas and for the restoration of all things. Well, in this conversation, I sit down with Hannah Anderson. She's written 25 Advent Reflections called Heaven and Nature Sing. It's illustrated by her husband, Nathan, and it's a beautiful way to begin to experience this time of Advent. So whether you are an Advent novice or you're quite experienced in it, listen in to this helpful, thoughtful, good conversation. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. Well, I am joined with Hannah Anderson. She is a friend and author, and today we are chatting about her Advent book, Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections to Bring Joy to the World. So thanks for being with us, Hannah. Well, it is always a good day when I get to talk to you, Ashley. Oh, thanks. I know. It's so fun to get to, get to talk in virtual time and space and connect across the miles. And as we think about time, we are talking today about Advent. Um, and so what what is fun, I think, is to maybe hear a little bit from you about how this idea actually began to percolate. Because you didn't come from kind of a liturgical tradition that you grew up celebrating Advent. Uh, yeah. So how did you come to actually write these Advent Reflections? You are 100% correct about not coming from a liturgical tradition that celebrated Advent. I like to think that we all have our liturgies and we all have our traditions and we just have to identify them. Mine did not include Advent, but it did include um, living very close to the earth. So I grew up um, basically in a homesteading kind of environment and I live in a rural community, so I had natural rhythms, and some of my other work has really pulled on those themes and trying to help us think in cycles and rhythms. And as I was sitting in that place, it was a very natural extension of that conversation to start to think in 
Christian history rhythms, calendar rhythms, and to see if, is there something happening in both of these spaces about cultivating habits and patterns and rhythms? Because for me, I was encountering them perhaps seasonally within um, the natural world that my book Turning of Days really kind of pulls on the four seasons and kind of observing those patterns in nature. But as I was thinking along those lines and kind of living more into or a greater awareness of the church calendar, historic church calendar, it became really clear that this was the same thing happening, not necessarily overlapping the, the seasons, but the same basic underlying shape of rhythms and patterns to teach us certain things. So that felt like a really natural transition to take the work I was doing within Natural Revelation and say, okay, well, let's kind of pull these themes forward. And one of the clearest spaces to do that is Advent. Um, It is a space that might be new to some people who have a similar background to me. Um, I grew up uh, free church, low church, Baptistic, evangelical. Advent for us meant maybe a, a calendar with 25 doors where you opened one each day and you had a piece of chocolate behind it. That was Advent. Um, But recovering even natural rhythms felt like the next logical step was also recovering these kind of liturgical or historical rhythms. What do you make of kind of the, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily renewed interest, but kind of a renewed popularity of, of the church calendar or liturgical forms. What is it about maybe even our, Harry technological world that then, you know, maybe both ways causes us to reach back to nature to somehow say we're missing something and also in temporal terms to to reach back to kind of older forms like the church calendar. I think your question is, you know, framing it up perfectly, that there's something about this moment, this harried age, um, this very frenetic time that we live in that is we're, we're longing for rootedness. We're longing for stability, some kind of discernible structure or discernible limits. I once heard someone describe the digital age as feeling like you were in outer space where it was unclear whether you were upside down or turned around. You were kind of free floating because there was no clear definable time, no clear definable space. You, you get online And you can be speaking with someone around the world where it's a totally different time of day for them. All of these limits have almost been obliterated in the digital space. So what we're kind of, what our embodied selves are longing for, I think, is some kind of way to frame and orient ourselves toward time and space and reality. So yes, I think some of the appeal to definitely natural rhythms, but also the liturgical rhythms is just this longing for um, a compass of some kind, you know, some kind of order, some kind of ordering rhythm within our lives at this moment. And what has kind of the practice of the of more liturgical church calendar forms for you been, you know, particularly as you look forward to Advent in your own home and, you know, your own community? Um, tell us a little bit about that overlap between nature on the one hand, as you were talking about, and the church calendar. What does that look like for you? Maybe work it out in a day or something. Right. Well, one of the first things um, that I did within my own home, because we our, you know, our context is very low church. Our community is very working class. And 
it is not a lot of times liturgical forms skew more middle to upper class. You'll, you'll find this within church settings. Um, so it wasn't like we all just started celebrating the church calendar as if we were adopting it. But one of the things that I wanted to do within my own family was to gain awareness of it. So I bought myself a liturgical calendar. I um, have a section in my kitchen that has my uh, family calendar, what we're doing each month. It's got a whiteboard, it's got the daily calendar. And then I found um, a liturgical calendar that was a dial of the year. And we could just take the counter and turn it for each week. And what this did for us as a family is it just started our awareness of this way of thinking of time, of ordering time that has been happening far beyond when we came along and around the world in ways that I think was just giving us an access point. So the first thing I wanted to do was just have awareness to say, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I can know about it. So I can know it's happening. Um, and things like gaining awareness of uh, saints days or feast days, even if we don't celebrate them, just to know um, that this is part of our larger heritage um, as Christians. So that was one thing that we did within um, the cycle of our family's life. You know, we have um, a connection to like we garden and we have those cyclical rhythms of taking care of uh, perennial and annual plants. And so those things are kind of established. Like we know oh, coming up this season, we know what's happening next and those cycles are established. Um, but then within Advent, becoming more intentional about recognizing, oh, it's coming. Let's not forget it this year. Um, and then moving more intentionally toward um, honoring it as a family. You know, you, we you write in the introduction to your Advent reflections about how traditionally, right, Advent had been a time of fasting, um, a time of preparation, a time of actually withholding in the same way that often Lent can be a way to take things away so that we are actually preparing ourselves for, for Easter. And Advent, in a lot of ways, actually helps kind of cultivate our longing um, in what ways did you see this sense of cultivating longing both in the natural world during this kind of winter season and, you know, in your own home or, you know, your own personal life and your community as a spiritual rhythm as well? Well, I have the good luck, I guess you could call it, of living in a location where we move from fall to winter right about the time that Advent's happening. And that's not the case for Christians everywhere. Um, if you live in the Southern Hemisphere, the seasons are different. You're getting ready to party at the beach for Christmas. But for us, where we live in the Blue Ridge Mountains, we have um, the kind of shutting down of the year, the loss of life, the dormancy happening at the same time as um, Advent is coming in. So so for me, it's very easy to begin to, to observe the natural world and see things turning muddy and lifeless and brown and begin to think, oh, yeah, that's the real state of things. <laughs> like, that's actually the state of the world. We're in this moment where when everything's alive and green and growing, we can really convince ourselves maybe that we're better off than we really are. But when things die back at the end of a season, um, when you get that first frost, um, 
maybe you had plants that were still producing way past their original, you're grabbing a tomato here, getting a fig, you know, but once frost comes, it's done. Everything's dead. Um, so we have the, the, the opportunity to observe that in the natural world while Advent is coming on. And that, that fuels a lot of my writing because I write from place and I write from the, the experience we have here. And I, and I try to say that right from the beginning that this is what it's like to be in Southwest Virginia. This is what it's like to be in the mountains here as fall moves into winter. Um, and built into that are these lessons of death and waiting in dormancy, waiting for life to show up again. And also realizing that there's nothing you can do to make it happen. Uh, There's just, you can want it all that you want it, but the life is not going to come until God brings it back um, in his time. What um, recommendations might you have for someone, say, like me, who lives in California? <laughs> Where, yes, the I, as I was speaking with my sister-in-law, actually, the other day, she she's also in Southern California, and she's lived in New England, and she's lived in Rwanda, and we've just been talking about the changing of the seasons and how you have to really pay attention because they're much more slight. Um, but what, what advice might you have for folks as they're either journeying through your Advent book or even just thinking through the way that creation can teach us about our spiritual state uh, when maybe we don't live in a place like you do. Well, I love that you said that it's happening because nature is going through cycles, but you might have to pay more attention to it. Um, Maybe the entire landscape doesn't go dormant at once. um, And you can't see this panoramic view of, of the kind of waiting and longing but you will see it in an individual plant, right? You'll see it in an individual flower that blossoms and then begins to fade and decay and then drops off. You'll see it in things that are are dying, um, even though they were alive just two weeks ago. So there is more of um, an awareness that you have to cultivate because it won't be as obvious across the entire landscape. and, and I think one of the things about the cycles, wherever we live within um, the world, is that they are distinct to that place. And it also takes living in a place long enough. And this is a challenge for us as Americans. You have to live in a place long enough to be able to see that cycle happen enough times that you can begin to anticipate it and see the differences between a season. So lived in a place long enough, you can say, oh, these blossoms are coming early this year. And the only reason you would know that is because you've seen them for five, 10 years previously. And so some of what we have a challenge of is just being in one place long enough to see the differences and to adapt to the, the patterns and rhythms. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. 
Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And I think, you know, there's a, there's probably something culturally then, too, that resists that, right? That we send, like, we always want the newness of spring. We always want the new place. We always want, you know, the 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 spiritual high, maybe particularly as Americans, um, this sense that life is limitless and we're always moving up and to the right. Um, and so how can our practice of Advent be kind of a way to counteract some of those tendencies, the desire to keep moving on, the desire to um, not notice the particular. I think one of the things that Advent invites us into is to resist that continued march to progress, right? So we do live in a culture, as you mentioned, that just is always looking for the bigger, better. We have this myth that everything is headed out into the horizon, um, you know, riding off into the sunset. But the reality is that's not the way we are as people. It's not the way we are as a society. And it's more likely that we're moving in cycles and in times of difficulty that maybe open up into blessing that then again move into difficulty. And one of the things that Advent invites us into is to speak the truth against that myth of unending progress. So it creates space within a holiday season that culturally is supposed to be the happiest time of year. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure, but please be joyful. It creates space to tell the truth. It says, no, let's take a few weeks And let's just um, face the reality of the way things are. Let's talk about why we even need a savior. Let's talk about the, the longing of our own hearts. Let's talk about the brokenness, not just of ourselves, but of creation. Um, One of the things I think that's definitely on my mind and on other people's mind is kind of questions about climate and creation care and, the eschatological questions of what does this all mean? And that is a place of lament and longing too, to say that the earth is groaning in a metaphorical sense, but it's also groaning in a very literal sense, Um, longing for some kind of redemption here um, to, to put things right. And so if nothing else, Advent just arrests and stops us long enough to say the myth of eternal progress is just that. It's a myth. And you can speak the truth about that, and you can lament that, and you can grieve what's been lost. And in no way does that offend this season. In fact, it's probably a better way of keeping this season than the um, unchecked enthusiasm that we're accustomed to. What, what might that look like in communities? Um, you know, I am, there's a way right in which even Advent can be 
horribly commodified and commercialized, right? Where we, we have to buy the liturgical calendar and our Advent devotionals. And yes, all of those things can be really helpful resources. Um, but then we become to, you know, all of the joy we've now pushed into Advent, you know, of, of the requirement to make it mean something or be something or to do this season right. Um, so what, yeah, what advice or thoughts might we think about together regarding that dynamic, right? That now we have to take the joy of Christmas and now make, you know, kind of up our longing of Advent. That's right. That's right. Let's do this the right way. <laughs> right. No, I, and I feel that especially as a person who feels responsible for the patterns of a home, right? Or the pattern of a community where there's this sense of, oh, here's something new that's going to help my people, but I want to get it right. I want to do it the right way. And I don't know whether it's my incapacity or whether I just gave up a long time ago, but I also know that if something like Advent is not in your history, it's going to be really hard to adopt. It's going to be a challenge both because you haven't had the patterns and the rhythms built into your own life, but also because it's not something that's generally happening communally. If you think back, um, even back to when Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World as an Advent hymn, the entire parish, the entire community was celebrating Advent together. And so it was a collective experience that you could maybe be carried along with other people doing it. Today, trying to take practices into your life is almost always an individual experience, whether you're doing it with a book, a devotional, or you're trying to cultivate it in your family. At best, you might be doing it with a church community, but even then, the entire society around you is moving against that. So I think first, we just have to recognize there's limits to our capacity of what we can actually enact with this. So anything we do get is good. So that, that's my very low bar. But beyond that, I, I think one way I'm thinking about it is to always remember that Advent is an invitation, not an obligation. So it's an invitation and permission to push against those things that are pressuring us in this time. It's an invitation to rest um, and to wait when the entire season is frenetic and just rushing you along. It's an invitation to lament and speak truthfully of brokenness when the entire season wants to force happiness and joy upon us. And it's really just this invitation to find grounding and rhythms in a, in a season that quite honestly loses any sorts of regularity that we thought we had to begin with. Um, so I, I think if there's anything I want to tell folks, it's this isn't something you take on to do right as another obligation, but it is an invitation to live in a way of grace um, that you're not going to find anywhere else, I don't think. What would you suggest as far as communal practices of Advent, especially if you're not at, you know, at a church that maybe is, um, you know, used to practicing it together? Mm -hmm. I think there's some really basic historical things that you can do if it's just your family, you know, just mark off 
the Sundays before Christmas. Just just know that, you know, Advent is structured this way. It's the four Sundays before Christmas Day and each Sunday historically has an association with it. And even if it's something as simple as you have an Advent wreath or you have something that is marking that Sunday or that week saying, um, this is what this means. Um, something as small as that grants you awareness of this larger thing that's happening. Um, if you don't feel like you can do something every day, you know, at least that weekly acknowledgement will help set those patterns um, for, for your family and your community. And I loved how even in your introduction, you were like, or you can like lose this book and then, you know, just binge read it, <laughs> you know, that there, there are ways, right, that of engaging in the season maybe that may not be as measured and as, you know, all the boxes checked um, and yet still are good. So thank you for that. With uh, four children at home during <laughs> this season, I, I definitely feel feel that. Well, I just feel like anything we do achieve is something we achieved, right? So anything we can take back and recover is something we've gotten. And we don't need to feel like if we don't reach, you know, XYZ level of Advent experience that it doesn't count. And again, part of the trouble is we live in communities and in a society that's not going to be practicing Advent. You're going to be getting invitations to work parties, to school parties, to family parties, all through the four weeks before Christmas. And people are going to be drawing you into the busyness. And in, in some ways you can't, you can't say no to that. So what I'm just inviting people into is the spaces where you can create space, feel free to do that. Have permission not to add everything in that is perhaps um, where you do have control over it. Like you don't need another ornament. You don't need another decoration. You don't need another craft project. It's okay. Just let it sit and use that space instead for the quiet kind of rhythmic reflective time of Advent. So helpful. I think just to take the pressure off, but then also to really just say, you know, these are communal rhythms. And so there are ways that we can in little bits and pieces begin to kind of recover that. Um, what would you say to folks who are really suspicious of anything kind of church calendar liturgically related that either because they've never done it or it feels very formal and works righteousness sort of thing? Well, it does feel that way if you're not um, familiar with it. I love... Um, there was a moment I realized that we all have liturgies and we all have our traditions. And I actually have a reflection in the book where I lay out the traditions of the Baptist church that I grew up in. Like we had our liturgies and here they were. And we had um, a friend of mine had four sweatshirts that she wore for the four Christmases before four Sundays before Christmas. And she didn't really anticipate that was Advent, but she was celebrating Advent because we showed up at church with a different sweatshirt for every Sunday before Christmas. So I think the first thing that we have to kind of recognize is we all do have our habits and traditions and liturgies. And these may feel unfamiliar. We may be suspicious of them. They may not be helpful in some respects. It, it might be less helpful to someone to try to adopt liturgical practice. But what we might be able to do is find the essence and the meaning and what the practice is trying to get at. So if we can 
kind of excavate that and bring it into our practices to say, okay, I'm not going to do an Advent wreath. I'm not going to follow a liturgical calendar, but I hear you when you say that we need to make space to pay attention to the longing, lament, and grief in our lives and to anticipate a savior. That makes sense to me, and I'm going to figure out some way to do that. That's keeping the spirit of Advent, even if we're not necessarily doing the the historical practices of Advent. Yeah, that's a helpful way to think about it, and a helpful kind of doorway into um, perhaps some of these practices, because we can often get so hung up on you know, what does this need to look like um, to be authentic or real or something uh, instead of actually seeing the ways in which those are really just, you know, the the outward manifestations of an inward change to use some theological language there. <laughs> I am afraid that Advent purists probably will find much to object to in my book because I do see it as a bridge between these very diverse experiences of the weeks before Christmas, where some folks have had the good fortune to be raised in historical practices of Advent, and they know and understand how it should be done. Well, a whole lot of folks have no access point whatsoever. And so trying to bridge those communities and say, how can we get to the heart and the essence of what Advent is trying to welcome us into and moving into that? And so, yeah, I do I do think there's some ways that will probably um, offend the sensibilities of folks who understand and have practiced Advent all their lives. But for the rest of us, um, I hope it's a gateway to the, to, to the, I won't say joy, but to the richness um, of those four weeks before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's a lot more of folks who are drawn to or interested in maybe some of the more historic traditions of the Christian church. And yet we don't we don't have a roadmap or it feels like very foreign to jump into someone else's tradition. So thank you for your good bridging work. And and I'll just name this again. These practices are generational. And some of us did not have the foresight to pick parents who practiced Advent. Oh, well, thank you, Hannah, for, for, for doing that good work and just calling our attention to begin to notice not only the seasons outside, but the seasons of, of our faith as well. So we appreciate the good work you've done to resource us. Um, but before we finish, I would love to know what your laundry routine is as we think about connecting the dots um, in very practical ways. So what does your laundry look like these days? Well, these days, my laundry routine relies heavily on my husband and my teenagers. As I started back to school this August and laundry day is one fell swoop on Saturday. And it usually means everybody throwing stuff in and trying to work really, really hard to get it all done in one day. Um, So not much of a routine, but definitely relying on the family. It is a family group project at this point. There you go. See, communal liturgies, whether it's laundry or Advent. Well, thank you so much. A lot of lament and longing goes into laundry day. That's true. It always continues too, right? It will always come around. (laughs) There we go. Look at that. Look at us connect the dots. Thanks for being here, Hannah. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Always a good time, Ashley. Ashley. 
friends, it is a joy to be with you, and I want to encourage you, if you have not yet already, grab a copy of Hannah's book. It's a beautiful gift as well um, to begin to learn the lessons of creation, to begin to put it into practice in our everyday holy lives. And so I want to leave you with one small step as we go about our days in this season, as we prepare for Christmas and as we walk through Advent is to simply go on a walk and in your walk, notice your place. I love how Hannah in her book, Heaven and Nature Sing, is encouraging us to actually learn the lessons of our place, to stay rooted enough to notice the changes throughout the years and to begin to then apply those lessons of creation into our everyday lives. And that matters in Advent too. And so I would encourage you to go for a walk, begin to notice what creation has to teach you not only about itself and how it is longing to be redeemed and renewed, but also what it has to tell us and to model for us in terms of our spiritual lives. How might we desire to be renewed? How might we need to settle in and hibernate? Um, And this isn't just an individual sort of reminder. It's for our communities as well. So go for a walk, pay attention, keep your earbuds out of your ears and learn the lessons of this time. You can, of course, follow Hannah and find out about her own work, including Heaven and Nature Sing, uh, at the links in the show notes. Lastly, I want to encourage you to simply subscribe to the podcast as we move through 2022 and we think about 2023. There's going to be some changes here at the podcast. And so I hope you've enjoyed uh, this season. And please go ahead and subscribe if you haven't yet already, so you don't miss a thing as things kick off in fun and new and exciting ways come the new year. Thanks, friends, for being here with me. It is always a privilege to host these conversations. And if you find this helpful, please rate and review and or share the podcast. Remember, big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.